Central, it is great to be with you. I don't know if you were listening closely to what Scott said, but he said the kids can go out to go have fun. That infers there ain't going to be much fun in here. Is that what he's saying? I think uh, sabbaticals are very important as well. Just as he mentioned, I think they ought to be given at the rate at which one loses his hair. Scott's definitely do. Uh, for Love you, brother. Just... Oh, yeah. Of course, I should be one to talk, should I not? Yes. Hey, uh, Central, it is really fun for me to have an opportunity to be back with you. Some of you have no idea who I am. I hope we can get to know each other a little bit. I grew up in this church. Used to sit right back over there where the kids seem to still sit. Look at you guys. But in those days, there were little, little rubber cups that, that cushioned the communion holes, those holes, you know, in the, in the front. And we would pull out those little rubber cups, and we would see who could roll them all the way down without hitting the feet and the people in front. Not giving you any ideas. Luckily, those cups are not there anymore. And uh, growing up in this church, because as uh, Scott mentioned, my grandfather, William Jessup, started Central Christian Church so that he could start San Jose Bible College in 1939. January of 1939, he gathered in the living room of his home, brought some people together who were excited to hear about who Jesus was, and this church was birthed. And it is so cool to come back and see you who are persevering in the faith in Jesus Christ by his grace that you continue to walk on. Amen? Amen. Amen. And it really is to his glory that this church is a light to this valley. So hang in there, all right? Every church has its ups and downs, and you're going to have all kinds of different shepherds come through. You're going to have all kinds of different... Shepherds will come and go, okay? Leaders of a church, they'll come and go. Shepherds come and go. But the good shepherd will never leave you. Amen? And hopefully that's why you're here. Not for any shepherd who stands up here to teach, but for the good shepherd, Jesus, who's walking with you. And you come together to encourage and to fellowship and to be one in him. Whew, okay, I'm done preaching. You know, I just get so excited because, um, again, I have such great memories. And there's people in this church who have affected my life. Uh, Noni Noble's husband, uh, Rocky, when he was alive and coming to this place, he had a little white pickup truck. He put an engine that was way too big in it. He was a mechanic. He put this big old engine, took me for a ride, scared me to death, man, as I'm holding on. And I thought, how cool, how cool. This guy who comes to this church loves fast cars. And uh, John Ottinger, Gave me my first job washing vans at Harry L. Murphy Carpet Company. And I was washing vans as a high school kid, making money. There's all kinds of people who influenced my life. And you're influencing many others, especially the young people who just left to have a lot of fun. You're influencing their lives because you're hanging on there with the Lord. So keep going. Keep going. Uh, Gary called me up a little bit ago, and he said, uh, a few months ago, and he said, Hey, Jim, do you believe in free speech? And I said, of course I do. Gary, I believe in free speech. He said, good. Come give one on August 12th. <laughs> that, 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 that's a joke, hopefully. I'd love to have anyone help me. No, I'm just kidding. I, I so appreciate that you believe in education, too, uh, that you continue to believe in William Jessup University. I think we have a picture of the students, maybe. There, there's our logo. There's the students of this last fall. Over 1,000 students. Just so cool. That's just a 1,000 there. There's another 500 adults who study at night or online. We even have a San Jose campus still, you know, on uh, Saratoga Avenue. It's just a leased facility for adults. There's about 175 students in that program. They're typically adults. They come one night a week. We've got online programs. Uh, God is just continuing to bless. This year we look to have over 1,600 students in total. And um, these are just the young ones 
at the Rockland campus, of which you're welcome to come and visit sometime. Have a little lunch uh, with us. And uh, brought a few things with me because you're, we're, I'm the last to close out your uh, rebels and reformers. I got a few stories of some young people who have done some great things out of William Jessup University. This is out on the, uh, the table there in the lobby. And here's our latest magazine. If you don't get that in the mail, love to get you on the mailing list. But uh, grab one of those copies. Love for you just to know what you're a part of and what you began in 1939 as a church. You see, because education's important. Did I tell you about Harold and Marge? Harold got on the phone, called 911, said, send an ambulance quick. Marge is in the front yard. She's broken her hip, and I need an ambulance. And the 911 operator said, I'll send someone right over. Where do you live? And he said, I live at the end of Eucalyptus Drive. And the 911 operator said, can you spell that for me? And he said, how about I drag her to Oak Street and you can pick her up there? (laughs) Education is important. All truth is God's truth. And together, we come together to learn God's truth in a place like this called Central Christian Church. But at William Jessup University, we're training students integrating God's word with whatever subject they're planning on studying, fully accredited university, Liberal arts degrees, all kinds of business, pre-med, pre-law, um, uh, arts and entertainment, uh, ministry that we have done for years, training pastors and youth pastors and missionaries. Many of the missionaries you support are alums of San Jose Bible College, which became San Jose Christian College, which is now William Jessup University. It's important that we seek the truth in Christ. Amen. I'm glad you're here this morning. Some of you know my mom, just a little, by way of a little more introduction, and then we'll get rolling here. I'll get you out of here before the Presbyterians so you can beat them to lunch, okay? Amen? <laughs> my mom, some of you know my mom, she had a stroke in December, I'm afraid. In fact, she had three in a row. She's not able to talk very well with us. We think she can understand us pretty good, but some of you who know her and my dad, dad's doing great. He still goes over and picks her up from a little nursing home that she's in, and he takes her on dates, and he takes her. In fact, she'll come over to my house tonight for my daughter's birthday party and my grandson, Levi. Uh, They have their birthdays on almost the same day, so we'll celebrate tonight, and mom will be there. So some of you who've been you know, following the story with my mom and dad, uh, thank you. For 63 years they've been married. I imagine there'll be a number of years yet that God will allow them to to be in unity together, but unfortunately her body is beginning to fail, and uh, that's okay. We'll move on. You see, um, these messages that I've been watching online uh, that some of your leaders here have shared, Brooke and and Kyle and Gary and, and others who have shared, I like the title of Rebels and Reformers. And as soon as they told me that that was my chance to wrap up this series, immediately I thought of, uh, I thought of some young men. Oh, you know what? Um, I'm sorry. Right before I jump into that, I've got to show you one other slide. Isn't there a slide there of something in our gymnasium? Do you have it there? Yeah. I just wanted to say thank you. You guys have supported the school for years. That, that hangs in our gymnasium. Do you know that? Well, don't be too impressed. Okay. <laughs> That hangs in our gymnasium. And actually, don't be too impressed. There's 122 of those that hang in our gymnasium. 122 partner churches now. Isn't that cool? That means 122 churches are giving to our scholarship fund to make a difference for the future. And they're making a difference. Let me segue now into the message that I want to share with you. And that is they're making a difference like three young men. Their names were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. 
Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And many of you don't know, recognize those names, even though maybe you know the Bible well and you've been in church for a long time. But you do recognize the names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, probably. Or if you watched Veggie Tales when you were growing up, Radshak and Benny, right? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were rebels, rebel, rebelling against culture, current culture. And they were reformers of what they believed God wanted for the lives of those around them and for themselves. And I want to challenge you out of their story this morning. It's in Daniel chapter 3, but I'm just going to paraphrase their story. There's another section of scripture we'll look at together a little bit later on in the message. And I want to challenge you really with this story based around simply two words. Two words. And man, if you walk out of this place holding on to those two words, and those two words become a part of who you are in the faith in Jesus Christ, and a resolve to walk with him in the midst of trials and troubles and tribulations in life, then I believe I will have been successful today and I believe you will find in life the abundant life that Jesus had promised. You see, in Daniel chapter 3, and many of you know the story, let me paraphrase, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those were not their original names. Those were the names that King Nebuchadnezzar gave to them when he took them from their homeland. They were Hebrews, and Azariah, Mishael, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, those names, those glorified God. Those were Hebrew names that glorified God. There was a meaning to those names for the God that we sang to this morning. But when King Nebuchadnezzar takes them from their homeland into what is modern-day Iraq, by the way, Modern-day Iraq, this is not some fairy tale of, you know, Lord of the Rings, uh, Mordor, you know, uh, you can't find it on a map. This is really, this really happened. These, these Hebrews were taken from their homeland by King Nebuchadnezzar to modern-day Iraq. And he renames them with names that fit in his culture, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then they are told that they will bow as everyone in the kingdom of Babylon would bow to this idol that had been erected. Well, when the, when the music would play, they're supposed to bow. Well, the word gets back to the king that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow. And so they're brought in before the king. And many of you know the story. They're brought in before the king. And he says, if you do not bow, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And they looked at the king and they said, our God is able to save us, O king. We will not bow. That's good, isn't it? That's good. To look back at the most powerful man in the region at this time, to look at him and to say, our God is able to save us, O king. To have that kind of confidence. Our God is able to save us. We will not bow. Verse 18 of Daniel chapter 3, they go on to say, but even if he does not save us, we will not bow. But even if... And those two words, many years ago, they sunk into my heart. And I thought to myself, those words I've got to hold on to. Those words mean a lot for my faith. Because I need to trust God, not only if, but even if. You with me, church? You see, did they say this because they knew that maybe God could not rescue them and they wanted to save face, you know? with the king, that they wanted to save face. They didn't want to look stupid, you know? Or did they say this because they understood the sovereignty of God and they accepted it? 
See, I believe they understood the sovereignty. The sovereignty of God, sovereignty simply stated is, God can do whatever he wants. Because he's the creator. And we are the creation. And who are we to say that what he has done is a mistake? When you've lost a loved one. When your mother has a series of strokes. If your wife leaves you or your husband leaves you or you lose a child or you lose a job or you lose your home. Who are we to say that is not what God would want? That is not right. For the creator knows what he's doing. The question is, will we accept the sovereignty of God? They would. And they would say, even if, even if, not only if he does things my way, not only if it goes all for my liking, and how often don't we, do we do that? How often? Boy, if Scott keeps playing the right music around here. Only if Gary preaches a decent sermon. Only if they get a right, the right pastor into this place. Only if I don't lose my job. Only if I get that promotion. Only if my wife keeps loving me. Only if it's not cancer. You may not say it out loud, but how often are we thinking that? How often are we thinking, God, only if you'd have done this, I could have hung with you. Only if this would have happened. Or do you say to God, you know what, God? I'll accept your sovereignty in my life. And I will trust you even if. Even if. I think we, we learn this, uh, this only if kind of trust when we're young. I really do. I think we learn it from environment and experience. My son, he's now 27 years old, I think. Uh, he just got married in June. Really cool. Great young gal. Yeah, they graduated from the college together, and then they found each other after graduation. And we thought, hey, praise the Lord, kids finally married. <laughs> Anyways, um, 27, and, but when he was like three years old, when he was three, we lived here in San Jose, and we went to this place called Discovery Zone. Now, I don't know if it's still there. I think it was on Blossom Hill. Anyways, Discovery Zone was like a huge McDonald's playland, and parents got to go in too. You know, pools of plastic balls, slides, all that stuff. And, and, and I'm in there playing around with my son and my daughter. She's about like five at the time. And Kurt, he's maybe three. And we're having this great time. Then we, we're all done. And, and I pick him up and I put him on my lap. And I grab his little stocking foot, you know, because you got to take his shoes off. And I try to put his shoe back on. So I lift his little leg right up by his ear because they're real flexible at that age, you know. So he's got his foot way up by his ear. And I'm trying to put that little shoe on. Right, of a three-year-old, trying to get that thing on there. He's curling his toes and everything. And we're laughing. He's giggling. We're having a great time. It was such a good father-son time. It was awesome. And then all of a sudden, something happened. I spread my legs a little too far apart. And I didn't have a good grip. And he fell through. And he landed on his head. And it made kind of a little dull thud on that carpeted cement, you know. It made a dull thud. And he laid there, took a deep breath, looking at me. He wasn't laughing anymore. He's trying to catch his breath, and he's about to cry. I can tell, and I'm, all, I'm just holding the shoe, looking at my son. And you know what he did in that instant? He got up, and he ran to mom. He ran to mom. And you know what he learned? He learned daddies make mistakes. He learned daddies make mistakes. And driving home that day, many years ago, I thought to myself, you know what? That's... That's me. Things are so good with my Father God. 
Things are so good, you know, in, in your job, in your marriage, in your home, with your health. Everything's going really good, and then you get dropped on your head. You with me? You get dropped on your head. You get that slip at, jo- at your job. Things aren't going so great with your health or with your, with your spouse or with your kids. Life just seems to dump on you. And the question is, who do you get up and run to? You trust only if or even if. Even if. You know, I think uh, for me, maybe for you, I kind of draw some lines with my faith. I do it often. I draw these lines. I say, you know what, God, I can trust you up to here. I'm not sure I can trust you over there. I can trust you this far. I can trust you to do this, but I can't, I can't get over here. In, in Mark, in fact, in three of the Gospels, this story is told, but in Mark, the most vivid. In Mark chapter 9, and this is not on the screen, but let me just quickly tell you this story. This man had this son who was having these seizures, believed to be possessed with a demon within him. He just was, was caught, these epileptic seizures. Would, he would roll into fire. He would roll into the, the, the water. The, the father had to watch him all the time. He was so worried for his boy. And the disciples couldn't do anything for him. And Jesus comes along and, and, and the man says, Jesus, can you heal him? And Jesus essentially says to him in, in Mark 9, he says, do you believe? Do you believe that I can heal him? And the man responds the way I know in my heart I respond to God all too often. He says in Mark 9, 24, Jesus, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You know what he was saying? I believe to a point. (laughs) Jesus, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Here's where I draw the line, and I'm not sure I can get over that line. I'm not sure I can take that step. Oh, I believe enough to come to Central Christian Church and sit in the pew for an hour and leave. I'm not sure I believe enough to give my 10% to help the work of the kingdom of God. Ouch. I'm guest preacher. You don't have to have me back. (laughs) but let me be honest with you let me be real with you I believe enough to come and sing and pray here in church but boy to help Kyle with the junior hires that's beyond my belief that's beyond my faith where do you draw the line some of those missionaries who'd love to have you come and visit encourage them some of you could do it some of you have gifts and skills and you have the finances to go and encourage and go visit them in their homeland these that you support they're on that wall out there but you draw a line, you say, ah, I can't do that. I want to challenge you this morning, if I can, to be able to say, oh, God, I, I want that even if faith. I want to trust you even if. And let me challenge you with another young man's story. He was the married disciple. His name was Peter. And yet most scholars believe he was still just in his 20s. We see him as the older disciple who followed Jesus around. And yet, like I say, most scholars believe he was still in his 20s, a young man who followed Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 14, if you have your Bibles or it'll be on the screen, I believe, in Matthew 14, let me read you this quick story, get three quick things off of it, and we'll send you out of here to trust in God, even if. In, in um, Matthew chapter 14, uh, Jesus had just fed the 5,000, and then we pick up in verse 22 it says this 
Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land. It was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, this was very early in the morning, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Oh, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. (laughs) Come here, he said. Peter got down out of the water, uh, down out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. What a great story. I believe in this story are just a couple of principles, and they're in your bulletin if you want to follow along, or just listen and take one home with you. But Peter gives us some principles by the way in which he acted and reacted to Jesus that I believe we need for our lives to get out of this boat of only if trust, and trust him... Oh, good, two of you are with me. All right. To get out of the boat of only if trust and trust him even if. Because we can. But I'm sharing this message with you this morning because I need it too. I'm not just preaching at you. I'm talking with you. Man, I need to trust him even if. Even if. Here's the first thing Peter did. He, He called out to Jesus. He called out to him. And I don't know where you're at in life, in your walk with Jesus today. Maybe you just need to call out to him. You see, just as Scott mentioned, you're in a very busy community, a very busy um, geography here in Silicon Valley. In Rockland, admittedly, it is a little bit slower up there, though it's getting more and more fast-paced because all you folks keep moving up there. (laughs) But anyways, that's another story. it's a fast pace, and it's so easy for us to neglect, to neglect the opportunity to withdraw from society a little bit and get into God's word and hear from him. Because I believe if you will call to him, he will answer. Now hear me, Central, what I'm talking about. Hear me. I'm not saying you might hear an audible voice. You know, <laughs> When you talk to God, they call it prayer. When God talks to you, it could be schizophrenia. Let's make sure we check on that, okay? I, I'm just being honest, you know. If you're hearing voices, make sure those voices match up to what's in Scripture, amen? Of course. If you're hearing what you think is God talking to you, then look into God's Word and say, does it match? If it doesn't match, you might not want to listen to it. You might also want to ask other brothers and sisters who are walking with God and say, you know what, I sense God telling me to do this. What do you think? Is that something God would want me to do? Do you believe it's something God wants me to do? Is this where I step out of the boat? Call to God as Peter did. Jesus, call me to come to you. That's a reasonable request. And I don't know how you'll hear his voice, but let me tell you how I have heard his voice. Oh, I have heard his voice, man. Not audibly, 
but I have been in a group of Christians who were praying before, and someone prayed, and I thought to myself, wow, God was talking through them right to me. I have read God's word many times, but there are many times when I have read his word and it never seemed to hit. You know what I'm talking about? Read it and go, I don't get what that has to do with me. But then there are times when I have read it and it has hit me like a brick in the face where I said, wow, Lord, that was for me. I needed that today. Don't give up on what is in here because it's talking right to you Call out to Jesus and see that he just might answer you. And you might hear him say, come here, step out of the boat of only if trust. And number two is to actually take that step. Picture Peter is in this boat with all the other disciples. And let me be honest with you. Had I been in the boat with all those disciples and I saw that that was Jesus, I'd have probably said, hey, Jesus, if it's you, would you call Matthew to come to you? <laughs> and then if he makes it, I'm right after him, you know? I mean, I'm not going to be probably the first one out of the boat. And yet what I'm telling you is that Peter took a step. He took the step. Though he had lines of faith drawn, you know, this is what I believe Jesus can do. This is what he can't do. Take a step. That's what Peter did. He took a step. And, you know, I, I just picture, I mean, Come on, at the college, you know, we have all kinds of theology courses and, 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 and Bible courses and things. And so fun stuff is discussed, you know. Like when Jesus was on the water, did he bob up and down? You ever thought of that? It says the wind and the waves were against the boat. So if he's walking on the water, is he bobbing up and down? Come on, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm being serious, right? It's, it's funny to think about, but was he bobbing up or was, he, was it firm, right, where he stood? Water was against his ankles? And what, what was Peter thinking? This 20-something young man who had been fishing for a number of years of his life, wouldn't he reach over and push on the water a little bit first? I would, wouldn't you? I mean, and if I saw Peter walking, if I was one of the other disciples, I'd go, how is he doing that? I'd be, you know, and would it be slick like ice? Would it be slick? Would it be kind of soft and mushy? For some 20-some years, Peter, every time he got out of the boat, he knew he was going to be swimming, right? What made him think that he could walk on that water? See, he didn't trust Jesus only if. He trusted him even if. <sighs> Here I come, Jesus. You've called me to come. And he steps out of that boat and he begins to walk here's the third thing though is that you got to keep your eyes on him got to keep your eyes on him keep your eyes on jesus what happened to peter he's walking on that water and it says when he saw the wind and the waves what does that mean but that he took his eyes off of jesus right yeah, we're not chameleons, you know. We can't have one eye there and one and that's what we do in this world, don't we? We often have one eye on jesus and one eye on all of the stuff one eye on the creator and one eye on the creation. And it divides our interest. And Jesus, preached, Jesus talked about that all throughout Scripture, how we can divide our interests. You cannot serve two masters. Amen, he said. You cannot serve two masters. You love one and hate the other. Be devoted to one, despise the other. We're focused people. You look at one thing at a time. And he took his eyes off of Jesus. The thing he really needed 
and he saw all the things around him that were going to be a problem. And it says as he began to sink, and it was probably slow like this. Don't you imagine? Because if it was fast, he couldn't have got that whole line out. Right? He said, Lord, save me. You know, if it's like jumping into a pool, it would have been, Lord. And, and he's, he's, trying to, he's trying to walk on this water, but he's sinking. And wow, what a, what a metaphor for life. Think of it. How you got into the situation that some of you feel like you're in now, it wasn't instant. It was slowly because you took your eyes off of Jesus and you were worrying about all the stuff in life. And all of a sudden, you feel yourself up to here. And you're wondering, how did I get here? And I pray today you would call out, Lord, save me. And what was that like? That he would just lift him back up out of the water? Is Peter all dripping wet? Well, I assume so. He was in the water. And he says they got back into the boat. And wouldn't that have been fun to see? I bet Peter was staring right at Jesus then. <laughs> right? Oh, man, get back into the boat. You know, I am, not taking, I am not taking my eyes off of him. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, keeping your eyes on who you really need in life. All these things, all these things will be taken care of. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Call to him, take a step toward him, and keep your eyes on him. We'll go back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as we wrap this up. They said, you know, even if, O king, even if he does not save us, we will not bow. They accepted the sovereignty of God. The king was so mad. And if you've watched the VeggieTales story, the king was so mad, he heated the, hot, the furnace hotter than it's ever been. And, and, and many experts, archaeologists, they believe that the furnace was quite possibly kind of a, almost an igloo shape, igloo shape of brick, a, a flue at the top, you know, a hole at the top, very large, very large, with steps on the outside so that things could be, it says in Scripture, they, he, they were taken up by the guards, and thrown down into the furnace. What we assume, what we assume, and we're not 100% sure, that the guards, and it says the guards died from the heat, taking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up as they were bound. You see, because the holes around the edges of the furnace would have been so hot, they couldn't get close enough to throw them all the way in, to get them into the furnace. So they would take them up on top, drop them in, they would be in the center of the furnace, no escape, die before they could even get the ropes off and begin to walk. But it was so hot that the guards died as they were throwing or dropping in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I love the story. Because as you read the story, the king looks in probably to one of the holes where they would throw in more wood or whatever it was they were burning, where they would throw it in, and he looks in from a distance, and he sees, oh, uh, this isn't right. He calls the chief of the guards over. He says, chief, did we not throw in three? And the chief guard says, oh, yeah, oh, oh king, we threw in three. He says, why do I see four? Ooh, that preaches, amen? 
I mean, if that doesn't get you going, I know we're not a charismatic church here, okay? But come on. When you're in the furnace, when you're in the furnace, you can feel like you're there all by yourself. You're just not seeing there's a fourth. You're not seeing that he's walking with you. And there are many theologians who believe that was the pre-incarnate Christ. That Jesus, who was at the beginning with God, he was God. You understand that, right? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, in verse 14 of John chapter 1, was Jesus. He was in the beginning, but he had not been born yet. You understand? Onto this earth. The pre-incarnate Christ, many theologians believe, was standing there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. May have been an angel of the Lord, but regardless, God was with them. And it says the, the ropes were burned off, and yet their robes were not burned. And as the king looked in, why do I see four? And one looks like, he says, the son of the gods. The son of the gods. <laughs> he didn't know who he was looking at. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out, and they come out of the furnace, and it says they do not even smell of smoke. And that fourth is gone. And King Nebuchadnezzar declares their God is truly God. I pray today that you would declare in your life that God truly is God, that He is the Creator and you are the creation. That you can trust him, not only if, but even if. Little boy went out to fly his kite one day. He went across the street. His mama let him go across the street with three rolls of string. Three rolls of string. And he went across the street, and, and, and he took the first roll, and he tied it onto the kite, and he let the kite out. And he got to the end, and he tied on the second roll, and he let it out. He tied on the third roll and he began to let it out and these low clouds and fog came in and you couldn't see the kite anymore, just this string that went up into the heavens and disappeared. And he's just the happiest little boy sitting there holding on to this string that goes nowhere. It just disappears into the sky. And this old man comes walking along and says, son, what are you doing? And he says, well, mister, I'm flying my kite. And the old man looks and he looks up into the sky and he looks back at the little boy and he says, son, I think you're mistaken. There's nothing up there. And the little boy says, no, mister, there's a kite up there. I know. I put it up there. And the old man says, well, son, I, I think you're wrong. I mean, there's nothing. I, I, your string, it just disappeared. I don't see anything. And the little boy frowned, and he looked at the old man, and he said, hey, mister, take hold of the string. And you can feel it pull. Every Sunday, when you come to this place, whoever's standing up here, they're flying their kite, as I've done this morning. And they're just asking you to take hold of the string. Man, I pray you'd take hold of it. To step out of the boat of only if trust and trust him even if. That's what I pray for my life, that I might continue to strive after, is trusting my God even if. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, for the opportunity for me to share. It is such a joy. It is such a, a, a well of emotion in my life to be here at Central Christian Church because it is where I came really to know who you are. And the journey with you has been wonderful, though it has been challenging, it has been difficult, 
It has had many trials, just as these, my friends and family before me, have had many trials and struggles, health issues and job insecurities and problems with finances and troubles with their kids or with their parents and And Lord, even disagreements within the church and with people who are brothers and sisters. Lord, may we continue to forgive as we have been forgiven. May we continue to seek you with all of our heart. May we know, Lord, that this mission of this church will move forward, but it will move forward so much better if we are a part of it. If we don't give up, if we don't trust you only if, it all goes the way we want it to go, but that we would trust you even if, even if. So God, thank you for the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thank you that they would stand with such resolve like this to teach us that kind of resolve, that kind of conviction, that kind of commitment to who you are as God. May we, as your followers, Lord, understand that today. And may we step out of the boat of only if trust and this day choose to trust you even if. In your son's name, amen.